0: Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the physical, financial, and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're talking about staff communication with Dr. Mike Pownall. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of EquiManagement. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Care Credit. Mike Powell, DVM MBA, is a partner in McKee Pownall Equine Services in Canada and a partner in Oculus Insights. That company is focused on helping veterinarians and other members of the animal healthcare industry improve their businesses. Thank you, Dr. Pownall, for joining us today to talk about staff communication.
1: Hi, Kim. Glad to be here. As always, always enjoy our conversations. Well, I'm really looking forward to this one
0: because we all know it's been so hard to find and keep associate veterinarians, vet techs, office staff in the industry for a while. And of course, it's been even worse since the pandemic started. But how does having good communication skills with our staff help us, our business, our clients, and the staff themselves? And let's let's start by
1: defining
0: what is employee engagement?
1: At Oculus, we do uh, an employee engagement survey and we've done them, oh, dozens and dozens of them all across the world, actually. And uh, employee engagement is basically they do what's best for the company because they want to it's not like you know you know when they leave work they're they're thinking about things they care about the people they work with they want the business to be successful and it's not because um you know they're getting paid a lot or you're telling them to they just do it because they, they they're engaged I mean the, the the definition is really in this aspect is really part of uh, part of the title they just they go on above they go above and beyond because they want to, because they care about the company, the success of the company, and their coworkers.
0: And tell us a little bit. You, you mentioned these surveys. Let's talk a little bit about what you have found.
1: You know, these are fantastic surveys. When I finished my MBA, uh, you know, some of my reading shifted from veterinary journals to business journals. And I was reading uh, MIT Sloan has a great business journal from the uh, School of Business at MIT. And they talked about employees engagement surveys. And in this case, they talked about a survey that they did globally of big multinational corporations. And I looked at it and I went, Boy, you know, that's something that can be done in a vet practice. So I'm always, my practice with key panel equine services is always the guinea pig for my ideas, good or bad. And so in 2016, uh, we initiated the first employee engagement survey at my practice, and it was eye-opening. And, you know, so basically one of the things that it taught me was that our vets are, are getting burnt out. They're just running too hard. And because of that, that's when we as a business switched to a four-day work week, and it was transformative for our company. But, um, you know, even though our capacity was down 20 percent because we were working one less day a week and it wasn't meaning that everybody's working extra hours the other four days, they worked the regular hours. But having 20 percent less capacity, we had a 13 percent increase in revenue. Wow. And, and basically it was just, our vets just felt more motivated. They, they weren't as stressed. They, you know, many of them came to me later and just said, I've, I've rediscovered my joy of veterinary medicine. Uh, You know, my fifth day, I don't really take it as a day off, but I'm reading journals. I'm catching up on, um, client communication. I just feel better about things. And I've had, you know, a couple of the vets that work with us are, you know, their moms and they're like, you know, I'd always be feeling so stressed and I got to get my notes done and I got to get all my client, everything I had to get done at night. I put my kids to bed and then I knew I had hours of paperwork afterwards, but all of a sudden I realized that, um, on, on my day off I can catch up. So yeah. it worked out really well but one of the things we discovered in it and and i can tell you in every single survey we have done since the area where everybody does not as well as expected let me put it that way because it's a range is in how they communicate and is communication within the organization and i think we all think that we communicate well um, but we don't and i think that's probably human nature (laughs) how many things fall apart because we're not great communicators so yeah yeah but and so what we've identified of what the problem with when we have poor communication is more medical errors um, we, there's tension in the workplace because people are uncertain what's going on, and that leads to poor staff morale. So, really, the 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 first area we recommend people to work on to address when they say their morale's poor. Or people don't seem engaged is let's look at the communication because you know basically a lack of communication from management to staff is directly correlated to decreased levels of trust between management and 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 owners to the staff Um, when there's communication lapses people start to make their own stories. They try to figure things out on their own. And and so when there's that, then they get a lack of consistency, of protocol and of medical care. And, you know, and become people make up their own stories or truths that become entrenched in the culture. And one of the things that really surprises us when we see this more and more poor partner to partner or partner to management communication is obvious as to staff. And it really sets the tone for the rest of the staff. It's kind of like um, when I was much younger, when my parents got separated and they were surprised that I wasn't surprised. And it was like, you know, they've been like, you know, they're, they're trying to hide things and, you know, but all I know is there was a lot of, tense conversations, a lot of whispering, a lot of hush hush. And they thought they were hiding it, and I, like I knew. And I think it's the same thing with businesses. It's like when the owners don't get along, or they're annoyed at something, and they're not on the, they're not aligned. Everybody knows about it.
0: And how does that translate down? Do you think when when there's friction between the owners or the management and the the top vets, what how do you think that communicates down to the rest of the staff? You said you feel the friction,
1: but what does that mean? Well then everybody's wondering what's going on. And so is the business okay? Are things happy? Is, is somebody leaving, you know? Every that's why I say everybody makes up their own story. And every situation is unique. And and so if, you know, so it's sort of like if, you know, there's these partners have been together and they've been squabbling for years, you know, then people start thinking like parents, like, are they going to finally break up? Is one partner going to leave? And it just, it gives a sense of insecurity. And then people don't feel like they have any agency in what's going on. And then they're just wondering, and then that's morale's tense. What's going to happen?
0: Yeah. Well, let's flop it around then. So what, Dr. Powell, would be some of your recommendations to have better employee engagement, which then is, as you've said, translates to better practice success?
1: Well, I I think what they need to do is, A, you recognize that communication is essential. And it's all, you know, it's a challenge because sometimes, you know, what we see is there's poor communication or sometimes there's too much communication yeah. and it's better to have too much communication. And so one of the things that we recommend to, um, practice owners, managers is find out, um, the way people want to be communicated with. And there are a couple of ways of it. So, you know, some people will send out, um, a, a, you know, a, a newsletter. We found out after a while is most people didn't read the newsletter. Yeah. You know, and, you know, because if you're using uh, any one of the newsletters, the online newsletter things, they can tell you the open rates, the click rates. And then we'd send it. We spend time crafting these informative newsletters and find that like 40% of the staff opened them um, and 60% of them weren't, had no idea. And so what we found in our organization is having little quick weekly huddles, 5, 10 minutes. Here's what's going on. Here is off. Who? Here is who's off. Here's what equipment is off. Here's who's starting. I mean, all, anything that you need to know and everybody is there right in front of you. And then, you know, people can talk about it. Um, you know, some of the more lighthearted communication, we have a private Facebook group for our, our staff. So that's where we celebrate birthdays or work anniversaries or or what have you. And so, you know, th- that's what happens. So um, face-to-face meetings, we also use a lot of Slack, which is sort of like an, a messaging system. It's it's like text messaging, but you can make uh, specific groups. Um, you can, you know, it has a great memory. So you can, you know, oh remember they were talking about something two weeks ago. Well, you can search for it and find it. And we find Slack is a great way to keep people in up to date in the moment. Things like if there's an emergency, we may say, Hey, we got to call the veterinarian or or what have you. Um, But it's a great way for us to communicate that way. The other thing too, for communication is recognizing that your culture needs this open, transparent method of communicating. And so, um, You know, a lot of people say they have an open door policy, but until somebody actually goes in that open door and they talk about a challenge and everybody gives them lip service and then ignores it and then, well, then that open door really means nothing. So if you want to have an open door policy, you've got to commit to it. And the other thing that's, and this is huge, Kim, this is probably one of the bigger things is we are so focused on correcting people so especially as veterinarians we we you know because we can't make mistakes you know we try not to make mistakes like when we make mistakes bad things happen and so we look at everything else with those same lenses and so we're constantly nitpicking at people like oh you did this wrong you did that wrong or my truck wasn't packed properly or boy the x-ray plate wasn't charged enough and all people hear is negativity. And what we should be flipping it is in, in is spending more opportunity talking about positive feedback. Well, you did a great job, you know, like compliment people in the moment. Why was it a great job? How did it benefit the practice? How did it benefit you? How did it benefit other veterinarians or other staff? Then you start getting this, this um culture of of positivity where people want to have conversations because it's not a conversation every time where it's just like, Oh God, what did I do wrong now? Yeah. Which ends up happening. And, and I think we sort of have caught ourselves and we, you know, we recommend people like almost like for every correction, you need four to five positives. And I think, that's that helps. I mean, as simple as we had an example of one of our vets would come in in the morning, you know, and, and it's a busy day or you're thinking of the day ahead of you. And it's very they would come in very brusque. And, you know, it wasn't a good morning. It was like, all right, and they got to hit the road and we got blah, 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 blah. And everybody was like, geez, like, don't, you know, stay clear of this doctor in the morning as opposed to coming in. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Boy, the driving was terrible with the weather. Is everybody okay? Everybody driving? Okay. Spending that extra five minutes in the morning to just chat with people and take the tension down a little bit. And then you as a practice owner or as a veterinarian or a manager, you're just like, all right, there's that expectation that you're approachable and you can start having conversations.
0: The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care CareCredit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, CareCredit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. Well, and you know, there's also personality types, which, you know, we could have a whole show on different personality oh, types and absolutely. how they look like, and so forth. But that yeah. was a huge eye-opener to me as as a type A personality. When you come in my office, I don't want to talk about the weather and the cats and the kids and whatever else, but everybody doesn't think that way. So exactly. if i walk into somebody's office and I think, gosh, they are the same as me, and I need to get right to the point. Their personality may be that I need to engage with them. I need to make sure that they're good and that they understand that I I see them as a person. And then I can get into the point of why I'm in there. That was probably one of the biggest light bulbs in my professional
1: career. We're all different. And we all, and you know, as the good insightful manager recognizes the differences and, and tries to accommodate that to make sure everybody feels included. Another thing for uh, great communication, and I just had an example of this this morning, is, is um, when we have a hierarchical culture um, where staff is not left uh, or not involved in decision making, that really feeds disengagement because it's like, why try? Whatever ideas I have, nobody's going to listen to me. Whereas, you know, your vet assistants, your receptionists, your junior associates—they're the ones that are doing things. So you know, always involve your staff in decision-making. You may not always um, use their input, but at least the fact that you're out there soliciting ideas. And so my example from today is, oh, we are having a discussion about you know, sharing trucks amongst veterinarians at one of our locations. And so I went to the vet assistants and I just said, and they're all getting ready for the day. I just said, can I have 10 minutes of your time? Or do we have time? And they're like, yep, yep, okay. I said, here's my challenge. And it really is a balance between do we want to buy an extra vehicle and the expense with it versus, um, you know, vets are very particular how their trucks are set up in terms of the medications they carry, what have you. What do you guys think? And you can just see them just like, oh, our opinion's important. And so they gave me opinions and their feedback. And I was like, okay, but. Do you think the benefit will outweigh the, uh, you know, the amount we're going to have to spend every month to purchase this vehicle? And they're like, Yeah, that's a really good choice. And and it sort of made them realize how decisions are made, and and they felt included. And I said, You know, the, you great insight. I really appreciate it. And they all just to a T just said, Thanks for asking us. It really, we really appreciated having input. Yeah. So.
0: That's a, that's a great example. So let's say that you've noticed something in your practice. Let's say you're not a huge practice. Maybe you've got two, three, four vets, techs, office staff. How are you going to know that your staff is disengaged if, if you stop and actually look at it?
1: You know doing the employee engagement survey gives you a quantifiable number. It gives you a rating, and you you'll get the feedback. It's anonymous, you get the feedback. But the other ways of it's like, um, when you go in as the as the leader of the practices or manager, and everybody starts talking stops talking, when you there's a a key person who comes to you and says, oh, the the staff have been talking." Uh, You know, so it's sort of like it suggests that you need an intermediary to bring the news to you. Um, When you ask for feedback and people just like, I don't know, whatever, I don't know. You know, I, you know, I think those are the kind of clues right off the bat that not everybody is that engaged and not everybody feels comfortable giving feedback.
0: So what would be your first step if you're noticing that? All of these things are happening.
1: Well, if I'm the practice leader, manager, I'm happy, or even a veterinarian, and so I'll give you an example. So there's one-on-one, and then there's one-to-many, and so I can. I've had stories within my own practice years ago, and working with other practices where a veterinarian, um, let's say, was not a clear communicator with, let's say, the technician that was with him that day, or a receptionist, and one of the things that's so important is to be able to have a conversation with that person. And it could be a technician with other technicians. I'm just using the example of the vet. And one of the things that we try to get away from is triangulation, which is let's say there's me as, as i'm the I'm the boss, I'm the leader of the practice, and there's vet A and technician. And the technician comes to me and said, "I'm really have a hard time working with the vet." I go to the vet and said, "I was just talking to your technician and she has a hard time working with you." Well, that's triangulation, because then it's all of a sudden, well, why not? And it's like then I'm I'm telling stories of the tech's point of view, and and she's not there, or he's not there to give examples, and the veterinarian doesn't isn't able to give the good feedback. So we always, when we have a discussion, the parties involved are in the room together. I, as the practice owner, leader, manager, I'm the intermediary. And just so I can, in this example of Sally, your technician is really struggling. Um, You're a bit short um, during um, calls. I'm just making up an example and, you know, she doesn't feel very respected and she feels very diminished. and Then inevitably the the veterinarian or wherever the other person was like, Oh my God, I'm feeling, I feel terrible because they're good people. Why wouldn't they feel terrible? Then they can have that conversation with the other person was like, can you give me an example of this? When did that last happen? You as the intermediary myself, I can then go, all right, we've got it over the air. We've got it out. Nobody wants the situation. How do we go forward? And then there's the discussion of like, hey, if this happens ever again, let me know in the moment. So I catch myself because I don't want to be that kind of person. And then everybody has trust that it happens. Right. So that's that's another example. Another one that um, used to think that venting was okay. You know, you can vent about somebody and you're just blowing steam off. And what we basically have, you know, there's been good research that says that when you vent, it doesn't make you feel better. In fact, it intensifies the negative feelings you have about that person or situation. And so instead of feeling better about it, you're like, it just reinforces why you're so annoyed with them. So we just say, don't vent. If you've got a problem, you come to the person. Um, and, you know, with that is don't vent down. So, you know, vent to somebody that can help you. If you've got a problem, go to your manager, go to somebody that can make a difference and not gossip. And just like, let's say you're a bunch of technicians, you're an, an annoyed with a veterinarian. Um, Well, by venting to each other or gossiping and talking to maybe the new associate, the new um, technician about how horrible this doctor is. No, go to the management, go to the owners of the practice, bring it up, which means the owners and the managers have to have that culture that they can come and bring it to you and you will listen and you will act upon it. That's a good
0: point. Because if you don't do that and they bring that to you, then you'll find yourselves missing staff.
1: Well, that's it, you know, and there's so much research that's out right now, Kim, about, you know, why people are leaving their jobs. And unfortunately, you know, AVMA had a great survey based on AHA data in the fall of 2021 that we know in the human field that physicians and registered nurses are leaving the profession at a high rate. And sadly, veterinarians and LVTs are leaving at an even higher rate. And when you look at um, research that's being done in the job market in general is, yeah, people will leave because salary is poor. So let's say you're paying everybody that is competitive and salary is not a discussion. The other main reason why people leave is a toxic work environment. And the biggest reason that contributes to a toxic work environment is poor communication. And so really, as a practice owner, you know, retaining the staff we have is a lot easier than having to go and beat the bushes trying to find new staff because that's really getting hard.
0: Yeah, it is. And that's, that's a great thing. So is there anything else that we should talk about as far as staff communication goes? Let's let's leave our listeners with one thing that they could do today to help staff communication.
1: I would be developing that culture of positivity and appreciation. If you can go in tomorrow and instead of focusing on what people have done wrong or what they could have done better, change your mindset to say, okay, where can I go in and start thanking people or recognizing when they've gone above and beyond? that i think more than anything eases the interpersonal tensions and all of a sudden it's like oh this person sees me for who i am they see the value that i bring uh who doesn't want to feel that way you know when i've talked to a lot of vets and about this and they're like what they're just doing their job why should i point out what's good about it they're just doing their job i'm like yeah okay let's flip it around you deal with pets uh horses um you do things and do you never not like getting compliments from clients and like of course i'm like well you're just doing your job why should they compliment you and also it's like oh yeah and it's like you know so we all want to feel appreciated it's human nature and when we don't feel appreciated um we start to withdraw and we resent yeah. So a little thank you here and there sprinkled throughout the day goes a long way.
0: Well, that is a perfect way to end this, Dr. Panel. and we certainly appreciate it. And I'm a, a big believer in uh, reward, recognize, and celebrate. as the way I always call it. Absolutely. So again, thank you very much for joining us today. And um, a big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit, for sponsoring the Business of Practice podcast this year. So invite our listeners to go to equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear each episode of the Business of Practice. And, and if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at k brown. that's the letter K, Brown, at equinnetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.